it's uh, it's time to do the Employment Law Show again. Welcome to it. Our good pal John Pincus is here, courtesy Sam Firu to Market LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm from coast to coast to coast in the country. How about that? Reaching out any time to talk to John, have a conversation about your situation. Would uh, would love to get that happening. Here's how you do it. one 821 5900 Email that we go to all the time. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. And a website constructed a couple of years ago just for you. It's free and synonymous. If you don't want to be uh, on there with any sort of identification, no problem. But there's tons of information about employment law and the severance pay calculator, which at most recent tally over $2 million people have used the severance pay calculator to have their eyes opened up indeed about what they're owed as far as severance is concerned with their soon-to-be former employer but anyway you can reach out to john anytime and ask those questions and we got a lot of stuff to get through today i think we're going to start john with the 10 commandments of termination uh termination of employment first so a couple case of the day uh, that you're working on what do you got pal that's right, John. Lots of stuff to go through today and hopefully lots more if we get people reaching out and talking about their situations because that's what we're all about, talking to you. So if you're listening, uh, as you always say, John, uh, don't be bashful. Uh, give us a call and, and let's talk about what you're dealing with or what someone you know might be dealing with. Mm-hmm. But just to start things off, a few cases of the day. Uh, the first situation I want to talk about involved an administrative assistant who'd been working for a company for 25 years. Uh, and this is someone who earns $60,000 a year uh, and also occasionally earned a $25,000 bonus. This was not a bonus that she got every year. It was a little bit sporadic, but the company did confirm that it was going to pay it out to her for the 2022 fiscal year during her most recent performance review. Well, since that time, the company went through restructuring uh, due to a loss of business and her entire department was wiped out. And they said to her, okay, we're going to offer you a severance package of 14 months pay. She said, okay, great. Uh, what about my bonus? And to that, the company responded, oh, we're not going to pay that because, you see, we have this policy. It's on our intranet system. I'm sure you've <laughs> seen it. And it says we're only, we only have to pay you when you're actively employed. You're not actively employed anymore, and therefore, you don't get the bonus. As you can imagine, this person was none too pleased about this. She'd gotten a bonus uh, very frequently, and and this one had been promised to her. All of a sudden, Mm. she's let go, and when she needs the income the most, uh, the the company apparently has this bonus plan to deny her the bonus. And worst of all, she'd never even seen the policy. She pointed this out to the company, and the company said, well, that's everyone's responsibility to know all the company policies on the company internet. What we told you, you know, here's an email where we said everyone's got to read all the policies. Understandably, this person was very upset because this is just compounding the effect of already a pretty traumatic termination. And I've lost my job of 25 years and I've lost the bonus I thought I was going to get, probably made plans based on this bonus. Just a terrible situation. But fortunately, I had some good news for her. Now, firstly, she'd never seen the policy before. And for an employer to hold an employee to such a significant term, the employer had to show the policy was reasonably brought to their attention. And here, clearly, it was not, not even close. Secondly, even if it had been brought to her attention, the language in the policy actually was not sufficient to allow the company to deprive her of the bonus in these circumstances, particularly since it had been promised to her. Uh, So we are working on a better severance package, and we're ensuring that the bonus gets paid to her right away. The lesson here, of course, is when an employer denies you a bonus, please speak with an employment lawyer. Make sure if a bonus policy is presented to you, you read it uh, and that you agree with it. And if you don't agree with it, make your views known then. And keep in mind that the situation I've talked about here also applies if you've quit your job right before a bonus and the company refuses to pay it. Now, ideally, of course, if you're going to resign from your position, you don't want to do it until after the bonus is paid, if you can help it. 
but mm-hmm. sometimes you can't. Sometimes a job opportunity arises. It's time sensitive. You have to leave. So make sure you're aware of whether there's a policy in place and consider speaking with us, with us before you make that decision to leave. It's interesting, though, this whole uh, this whole argument about the the policy that this company had, uh, John. Is it say this this policy is written up? It's in a binder. It's, it's shoved up in some filing cabinet on the fifth floor. I mean, is it the responsibility of the employee to seek it out and know it back to front, or is it the employer who said, "Oh, welcome to the job way back when. Please read this, sign it, and understand it." Because, I mean, that can make a difference. So who's, uh, whose fault is that? It is the employer's responsibility to bring it to the employee's attention. And it's actually a pretty high bar. Uh, you know, the gold standard is getting the employee to sign off on it, right? Many employers mm-hmm. don't do that. Sometimes they include it as fine print on a compensation statement. Sometimes they include it as, uh, you know, on an internet system. Sometimes they'll have it on a presentation that you may not have actually uh, been attending. And the law says that none of those things are sufficient. You really have to show that the employee knew about this, right? If you're going to present the employee with a separate document outside of their employment agreement that's going to change the terms of that employment agreement in a significant way, you have to make sure everyone's on the same page. And it's the if it's the employer who wants to rely on that, if it's the employer making that change, it's the employer that has the responsibility. Second thing you want to talk about, pal, what do you got? So the second situation actually also involved an administrative assistant. It's the, the day of administrative assistance. Uh, in this case, <sighs> she was terminated for cause. And the reason she was terminated for cause was on the basis of performance. They said to her that she made too many mistakes, and for that reason, they were letting her go and not paying her any severance. She'd been employed there for 10 years, and as she told me, it it came as a complete shock to her. She had received some negative performance reviews lately, uh, and there had been some criticism that she had been making too many mistakes, but she had no idea that her employment was about to come to an end. And most importantly, she'd received no written warnings. So what I told her is that, in fact, you have been wrongfully dismissed. This is not to say that you didn't make mistakes. It's not to say that the criticism wasn't well-founded. And it's not to say that the company did not have a right to let you go. They did. But they had to pay the proper severance. And after 10 years, to be let go for cause with zero severance, uh, with no perform- uh, f- uh, performance written warnings, that's simply not going to hold up. So she's going to be owed potentially nine months' pay in these circumstances and we're going to work with her to get that. And and this, again, is an important lesson for employees and employers, actually. You know, if an employer alleges just cause um, and you're the employee, you should always be speaking with a lawyer. And if you're an employer mm-hmm. thinking of alleging just cause, please speak with an employment lawyer before you do that because you actually could expose the company to further damages. So if you've done something truly egregious as an employee, serious misconduct, then, yeah, your employer may have a right to terminate you without severance. But that's very rare. Terminations for cause usually, in fact, are wrongful dismissals. So please do give an employment lawyer a call. And again, as we talked about off the top of the show, how to do that, one 821 5900 Won't cost you anything just to give John a call and discuss uh, your matter, get some clarity for sure. Help at employmentlawyer.ca is the email address. As mentioned, John, want to get into this the, uh, topic for the day, and that would be uh, 10 Commandments of Termination of Employment. Listen to these if you're an employer and employee as we get through these. Uh, number one, thou shalt think about termination when accepting a new job. Not at the end, but when accepting a new job. Break that down. Well, that's right. It's not pleasant to think about it at the beginning of the new job. It's probably the last thing that you want to think about is termination. I just got the new job. Now let's think about what happens when they fire me. I know, <laughs> not intuition, right? But you've got to do it. You've got to do it because now if you're just starting on a handshake, then you don't have to think about it so much. 
right? And that's the gold standard, right? If you can start an employment uh, job on, a, on employment with a handshake, with a short email, or with a really short offer letter, here's your start date, here's your your salary, well, then you don't really have to think necessarily so much about termination because you're going to be entitled to your full severance rights, right? You go on the severance pay calculator, you get a sense of what you might be owed depending how long you're there. Well, maybe you're comfortable with that. Uh, maybe you're not. Maybe you want to negotiate something that's a fixed term. But most people, that's not a bad situation to be in because the longer you've been there, the more security you're going to have on termination to be compensated. But a lot of times, especially these days, you're going to get an employment contract. And that employment contract could be five, six, 10, 15 pages, right? And it's going to have all kinds of things. Non-solicitation clauses, hopefully not non-compete clauses anymore because unless you're an executive, those are, are pretty well illegal now. But some employers may try and still put them in. Um, and you're going to see a termination clause. You're going to see a clause dealing with what you get on termination. And that termination clause may say you only get the statutory minimum upon your termination. And if it says that, you're going to be in a pretty crummy situation if you're let go without cause. And you may not want to be in that situation. And you may be leaving another job to take this job. And you may yeah. say, you know what, if you're going to put that clause in, I'm not going to take this job. Another thing that you may look at is you may see um, a provision about bonus. So one of the reasons you may have joined the company is because you may think that you may be getting a, a big signing bonus and you may be getting an annual bonus. So maybe it's not a great salary, but a great bonus. But an employer can have a clause in there in your employment agreement that says, well, if we let you go, it's a discretionary bonus and we don't have to pay you it, even if we let you go right before the bonus is payable. Uh, so that can be a huge deal. There's a lot of landmines here. Don't try and do it on your own. Speak with an employment lawyer. We'll go through it with you and we'll draw those red flags. And you can think if you want to accept the job or if you want to try and negotiate some of these terms. Yeah, you shouldn't just sign it, and you should take some time, to, and you should be allowed. The the, the the prospective employer shouldn't have an issue with you just saying, you know what, I, I got this. This looks great. I just want to make sure it's, you know, everything, all the uh, T's are crossed and the I's are dotted before I sign off. And this for sure, there's going to be some landmines in there. You at least want to negotiate out. Have you have you found in uh, in your experience, John, that a, a potential employee can negotiate these things on their own? I mean, if they're not massive changes, they're asking for right. You know what? It's a, it's a very good question. It really does depend on the context. The most frequent situation where I find employees are successful in negotiating the terms is, of course, when they've been recruited or when they're being pulled away from a job they already have, right? Because then you got to consider the, the playing field there. That's a little bit more of an even playing field. Uh, the employer knows that the employee doesn't need the job. The employer may really need that employee. Um, so it, it really just, it's, it's a practical, it's a very uh, practical reality. It has nothing to do with, with the law so much as the context of who needs who more than who, right? Um, but people shouldn't be shy about bringing these things up because I've had employees say to me, you know what, I, I don't really want to bring up termination. What kind of message is it going to send? Well, think about it. The employer is the one that brought it up. They brought it up, right? They're talking about it. And so you're just replying to, to what they're saying. So don't be shy about it. If you know this employer wants you to work there and they're really excited to have you on the team, they've got a spot they need to fill, well, you may have more negotiating leverage than you think. And you may say, I'm going to agree to all these terms, but I'm not going to agree to this termination clause. The worst they can say is no. Yeah, it's interesting how you can negotiate some of that stuff out. And I think a good employer might be looking to, uh, you know, have some flexibility, especially if you've gone through a series of interviews and you're the uh, you're the guy or girl they want. It gives you a little bit of leverage. Let's take a short break. Lots more to go. The other nine of ten commandments of termination of employment are coming up. Got lots of time, so feel free to chime in and email as well. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. We'll continue Employment Law Show right here. Stand by.
Right back at it, Employment Law Show. John Pincus, partner, Sanfiru Tamarkin LLP is here answering all of your questions, emails, and calls uh, as well today. Uh, in between that, we're going to get back to the Ten Commandments of Termination of Employment. Number two, John, is this. Thou shalt give up your future termination rights, uh, not right after you start working. Mm-mm. Right. This is a this is a very very common mistake that people make, uh, where uh, they're offered uh, a bonus um, and they uh, they're you know to take a look at it, look at it with a lawyer, and they say, Nah, you know what? I'm okay. I think I'm sure it's fine. Uh, you know, they read it over briefly um, and they sign it. Maybe they get a five hundred dollar or a thousand dollar payment. And that agreement may include a termination clause uh, mm-hmm. that limits your entitlements. And if you have signed it uh, without speaking to a lawyer, you are going to be bound by that. And you are going to be limited to that minimum severance if your employment is terminated. And there will be nothing we can do about it. So you really, really do need to speak with us before you sign that employment agreement. Don't wait until afterwards. It is too late. Number three, thou shall respond to any negative reviews or discipline. I'm going to add. A, I'm going to add a caveat to that too. In writing, right? That's right. That's right. Because yeah. if you don't respond to it in writing, it's just going to be so so difficult to prove anything, uh, and it's going to make your life much more difficult later. Uh, so you think about the example that we gave at the top of the hour, talking about that administrative assistant. Well, she hadn't received any written warnings, but even if she had received written warnings, that's not the end of the story. Because sometimes employers don't receive written warnings to actually get you to improve in your job. They do it to build a case against you because they're planning on letting you go. I think that's a little bit silly, but employers do it anyway. So if you are if you are getting negative reviews, um, and it's clear the employer is not doing it in good faith, they're not being fair in their criticisms, they're leaving out things, or they're saying things that are simply not true, you want to respond, obviously politely, because one day that may be in front of a judge, Um, so uh, you want to respond uh, in a way that you would be comfortable putting in front of a judge, but you want to be assertive, you want to say, look, respectfully, I disagree with this, 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 and this, and here's why. Um, And if they try and rely on those warnings later, having you having had responded to those warnings, mm-hmm. it'll be much more difficult for them to rely on those warnings, and it's going to be much easier for us to pursue severance for you. And, you know, as you often said, it's it's just them working on building up a case against you to hopefully, well, not hopefully, but maybe letting you go in the future. And if you're silent about it, silence is acceptance, so you got to stand up and, and, and nip in the bud, right? Well, it, it, it certainly could be seen as acceptance, especially if you are signing a, a warning without saying anything. If you're signing a warning without saying anything, then the implication is going to be that you accepted that warning. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. objecting to it, it doesn't mean we're going to be able to save your job. You're not going to be able to stop them from letting you go, unfortunately. But what you can do is you can say, well, you know what? You've terminated me, but clearly you know, I was trying to work with you and you weren't trying to yeah. work with me. Yeah. We are talking the Ten Commandments of Termination of Employment, and number four is thou shalt not commit serious workplace misconduct. It's almost like we shouldn't have to put this on the list, but you kind of have to, right? We, we we do, right, because we're often talking about this on, on this show, that, look, if an employer has asserted just cause, talk to us. Uh, it's probably not just cause, and we can probably get you severance. And And that is the case most of the time. Not the case all of the time, though. I have spoken to people who've been terminated uh, for doing things in the workplace, uh, and I have had to tell them, you have done something very, very serious here, and unfortunately, I can't help you, right? So if you're guilty, I can't help you. If you've been engaged in fraud, if you've been engaged in theft, uh, if you have been lying to your employer about something uh, significant, particularly if it's something that has a financial impact, 
uh, on them. If you have been embezzling funds from your employer, I cannot help you, right? You you have been terminated for just cause. Now, if you've made a mistake um, and they've confronted you about it, and I cannot emphasize this enough, no matter how much you feel you're worried about them, how stressful it is, own up to your mistake, admit it. Because if you don't admit it, I promise you that's not going to help you. I promise you it's not going to help you to hide from the truth. So if you are caught having done something wrong, that's the next best thing you can do and speak to us. And maybe that's a mitigating factor. And maybe we can help you then. But if you've done something really serious, then give us a call uh, if you know, uh, because maybe you think of it as very serious, but it is in the eyes of the law is actually not in fact that serious. But the ideal is that you don't do it first place yeah no kidding uh reaching out to john by the way as we get halfway through our list here one 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca okay number five of the commandments 10 of them of termination of employment thou shall always keep copies of all relevant documents this one's kind of widespread as we kind of alluded to it with uh, any sort of job offer etc right or, or or a chance when they're trying to get some negative reviews or discipline shoved your way right Right, so it does come up in the in the case of performance reviews and any mm-hmm. emails or notes uh, that you produce in response to those performance reviews. But it also comes up in other contexts, right? So if you're trying to seek overtime pay, good luck getting paid for overtime if you haven't actually recorded um, when you were working those overtime hours. On the other hand, if you do record your overtime hours, it's going to be very, very difficult for the employer to simply look at that list of overtime hours. If you have it, you know, this week I work this, and this week I work this. Very difficult for the employer to say, well, that's just all a lie, right? So uh, it's it's very, very useful, very powerful uh, to have all of those records. Uh, if you have a handwritten note from your boss, if your boss is, you know, making inappropriate uh, gestures or, or doing inappropriate things and they mm-hmm. they they're foolish enough to put it into a note, save those notes, save those emails, uh, forward them to yourself if you need to. Uh, of course, keep your employment agreements if you have them, particularly if there's something in that employment agreement that's actually favorable to you uh, because you don't want to be relying on the company to produce those things later. You know, it's interesting you mentioned overtime and keeping contemporaneous notes about that because, you know, you can get really behind on that and possibility you could go back two years to claim overtime you never received. But if you didn't keep a record of it and it's a he said, she said, that can make a real financial difference to you as well, right? It really can. I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, John, when I have people who say, you know, I'm owed $50,000 in overtime, the first question I'm going to ask is, okay, and and. What are your records of that? Uh, you know, do you have an Excel sheet that sets it out? And if the person says no, I'm going to say, well, I probably can't help you with that because we will never prove it. You simply going up on the stand and saying, I worked 50 hours every week, it's not going to cut it. You have to have records. Number six, thou shalt keep records of important events. What are you talking about there? So uh, one of the big important events that we've been talking about today is discipline, right? If you've been disciplined and you are responding to that discipline, then you want to have a note, uh, want to have records of those uh, notes responding to it. Now, mm-hmm. the thing that can happen is if you're uh, being harassed, uh, you want to complain. You want to complain by email. Don't worry so much about issuing a quote-unquote formal complaint. Just make sure that whatever complaint you issue, it's in writing and it's issued to the powers that be. The owner, the human resources manager, the supervisor, et cetera, et cetera. If you're blamed for something you didn't do, put it to your superior in an email. Um, if you've disclosed to your boss that you need to take uh, a paternity leave, a maternity leave, a pregnancy leave, a sick leave, do it by email. Why do you do it by email? Because if you don't do it by email and it becomes a dispute later, then they may say, well, they never knew. They never knew you were pregnant. They never knew you were sick. They never knew you were taking a paternity leave. 
And then um, you're going to have a difficult time proving that, and that's not a situation you want to be in. Last thing, if mm -hmm. something is being changed in your job that you don't agree to, maybe you're being transferred, maybe your duties are being changed, your hours are being changed, document it, state your agreement, or the email to yourself. Make sure you have a record of exactly when that happened and when you made your objection so that they can't say that you accepted that change later on. We're getting through the Ten Commandments is what we're calling them of termination of employment number seven. And here we go again. Steve always gets a beat down. Thou shall not get advice from your neighbor, Steve. Always getting a verbal beat down, poor Steve. He's like he's responsible for you screwing up. I don't know why, but uh, I think generally what we're saying is friends, neighbors, people who are not in the know, i.e. not employment lawyers. You know, John, I, I, you, my wife can attest to the fact that I am steadfastly against Google Doctor, right? I refuse to self-diagnose. I refuse, you know, if my daughter's sick, I say, the first thing I say is, no, 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 I'm not going to Google this. I'm going to take her to the doctor. I'm going to get a personalized answer. And the same thing applies to a lawyer. Don't Google doctor. Don't Google lawyer, right? Well, yeah. maybe I'm not the person to say don't Google doctor. That's just my preference. But certainly don't Google lawyer, right? Mm -hmm. Some mistakes that you make are permanent. And if you Google it and you end up on some American site or you end up on the Ministry of Labor, which can't advise on full rights, yeah. or you end up on um, a legal site that's maybe not written by a lawyer, uh, you could make a big mistake. And some mistakes are permanent, right? If you quit your job to claim constructive dismissal, and it turns out it is not a constructive dismissal, you've Oops. resigned. You have yeah. no severance, and you've lost your job. So don't make those mistakes. Give us a call. Let's talk. Yeah, especially when it comes to severance as well. I mean, everyone's, you know, if you were, we've talked about this before. If you went out and asked 50 people on the street, you know, how much severance do you get if you've been let go from your job? 49 out of 50, unless they know this show very well, are going to say, oh, you get a week or two weeks per year. That's it, and you're good to go. Most people still believe that, right? That's right. And most people will continue to believe that because employers will have you believe that. It's very much in their interest to have you believe that. In a way, you can't blame them. Why would an employer want to tell you, hey, I'm offering you the statutory minimum, but you know that employment agreement we had you sign might not be legal and you may be owed 10 times this amount. Of course, yeah. an employer is not going to say that. Why would they? So that's why you have to go and get your own what we call independent and that kind of dovetails nicely to our next of the Ten Commandments. Number eight says, thou shall assume your severance offer is inadequate. Inadequate. Right. You've got to think about the incentives here. Is your employer going to be incentivized to give you the maximum amount that you're entitled to, particularly if they're letting go more than one person, right? No, they're offering you um, a, a severance package. They're asking you probably to sign a release. And I can assure you, they're not asking you to sign the release out of the goodness of their heart. And chances are, they're probably not offering you the additional severance out of the goodness of their heart. They're offering you the additional severance, and they're asking you to sign the release because they know that they owe you more than they're offering because they've probably told, been told by someone like me that they owe you more. Um, so they want to try and save some money. And if you accept that, be giving a very large gift to your employer. So before you decide to give a $50,000 gift to your employer for firing you, maybe give us a talk and maybe we can negotiate that because very often it's going to be very, very straightforward uh, to negotiate. Number nine, simple, thou shall not sign. Right, right. And uh, amazingly, I still get people who unfortunately call me after they've signed the release, which is really heartbreaking uh, because sometimes people have a huge entitlement and they right. come to me and they've signed a release. And once you've signed a release, just like once you've signed uh, an employment agreement, there's 
probably nothing I can do. In fact, I'd say it's even worse in the case of the release because at least if you sign an employment agreement, there's a reasonably good chance that termination clause is not illegal and we're not they're not going to be able to rely on it, in which case we can still go ahead and get your full severance in some cases. If you sign in a release, almost definitely, except in very rare circumstances, almost definitely I will not be able to help you. So please, please, if you've been given a deadline, speak with us before the deadline, ask for an extension. Chances are that deadline actually doesn't mean anything because your entitlements don't expire for two years from the date you've been given your notice anyway. Yeah, that's usually just a pressure tactic, right, to get you to sign. I mean, it's, you know, whether the, it's, it's done maliciously by a soon-to-be former employer, they just assume, okay, we've got to put a deadline in this, so it's going to be Friday at 5, we should have it back, and off you go. A lot of people are going to listen to it and panic, actually. Well, John, I, I'm, I'm going to suggest that it's not malicious, and maybe that's me being self-interested, because I've written those termination letters ah. myself. You know, I act not only for employees, but employers as well. And I can tell you that the deadline, it's, it's not most cases, in some cases it's malicious, but in most cases it's not malicious. It's because, like you, the employer, they're made up, they're human beings. They don't want this to go on for any longer than you do. They want this to be resolved. They want you to sign that release, and they don't want to be dealing with a lawyer. So remember, they have the same anxieties that you do, and for that reason, they're going to want to settle the matter, and that's why it's straightforward to negotiate. And finally, number 10, as we uh, wrap up, get into a break, thou shall use the severance pay calculator or simply call you, John, at uh, San Firu Tamark and ST Law. Always. Right. The severance pay calculator, the pocket employment lawyer, we're really proud of these tools very easy they're free they take a couple minutes and as you talked about at the top of the hour john they are totally anonymous they're going to give you the range of your severance entitlements give you a sense of how much you're owed then you give us a call and we can talk about it in more detail yeah if you've never tried it really like john says just takes a, a minute or two to do and i was shocked that two million people have uh, have tried it and had their eyes opened up for sure again pocketemploymentlawyer.ca is where you're going to find it still got some time here to uh, to reach out to john anytime when the show is not on one eight five five eight to one fifty nine hundred and help at employmentlawyer.ca. We'll continue. This is the Employment Law Show. And John Pincus is your guy uh, on air and off as well. You want to reach out after the show is done. one 821 5900 Help at employmentlawyer.ca. Or you can always go to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca for more information. Lots of stuff to uh, learn about uh, your particular situation. And as we just mentioned before the break, Severance Pay Calculator is there as well. I want to flip over and talk a little bit about uh, workplace harassment because this is still a big focus. I know you guys deal with on, the, uh, on a weekly basis, John. First question. Question, really, I mean, how does the law define what is workplace harassment? It's easy to say, but it doesn't all qualify, right? Well, that's right. And, you know, it's almost more important to talk about what harassment is not than right. what it is. Uh, because there's a lot of people out there who feel they're being harassed and their feelings are totally genuine, totally sincere. But what they're really complaining about is bad management, unfair treatment, uh, someone who's rude at work, someone who's unpleasant to be around at work. And that is not going to rise to the level of harassment. Harassment is a very specific thing. The way that it is defined is, is as a course of vexatious comment or conduct that is known or reasonably known to be unwelcome um, and ought to be known uh, is objective. So it doesn't necessarily mean how you feel. It means how the person should know, objectively looking at it, uh, how it should make you feel. So if someone is clearly on a campaign, a deliberate campaign to diminish you, uh, to isolate you, uh, and to make you miserable in the workplace, 
that could be harassment. But if you're just getting uh, performance reviews that you feel are unfair, uh, you feel that someone is talking down to you at work, you feel that you're being ignored uh, by your boss at work, that could be terrible management. It could be a terrible person, but it's not necessarily going to be harassment. Again, as we continue, I want to reach out to John when the show is not on. You have questions about harassment or anything else, really, one 821 5900 How common is what you're talking about? Well, it's it's very, very common. And at any large workplace, you're typically going to find at least you know one or two cases every year of harassment complaints. And some of those will be substantiated. There are people who make a living out of investigating uh, these harassment complaints and, and advising employers uh, what to do about it. So it is still a very big problem. Um, and it is something that often uh, affects uh, people in uh, marginalized groups disproportionately. Uh, and so although not everything is harassment, that's certainly not to diminish the fact that it very much exists. Uh, it is a big problem. And you do have rights when it happens to you. Let me ask you a question. It's kind of, it's kind of a two-part question, I guess. Give me, a, uh, I guess, a typical situation you'd run into. Plus, is it more common now with men or for women? Or is that uh, that those lines been blurred over time? I don't. I, I wouldn't say it's more common uh, to men or women. Personally, people who come to me harassment are, are pretty even across the gender spectrum. But usually, a typical situation um, is you have uh, a new manager who comes in who may not like one of the particular subordinates. Uh, they may not have authority to get rid of them, or they may know that they uh, they need someone there. But they make their mission. Uh, rather than having to be responsible for their severance or having to explain to the powers that be that uh, they need to fire them, they make it their mission uh, to make the other person's life miserable, right? Mm-hmm. So the screaming at them, shouting obscenities, making inappropriate comments, uh, comments that might be racist or ageist or sexist, uh, ostracizing them in the office, uh, maybe suggesting they should quit, they're terrible at their job. I mean, if that's the level uh, of um, behavior that's going on, well, that very well could be harassment and in that case the person has to uh you know make a complaint to the manager the owner uh, human resources um and at that point the employer has an obligation a legal obligation to deal with it so is there steps being taken or should be taken as you just mentioned there what should that employee do if they're being harassed at work right well sometimes it's not easy first of all sometimes um the person that you uh, that is harassing you is your manager Right. Uh, and if that is if that's happening, the first thing you want to try to do is see, well, is there someone else in a position of authority that I can complain to? If you're in a really small company, well, it, it's it's even more difficult in that case. The harsh reality is if you're in a really small company and the person who's harassing you is the owner, the only thing that you can do is really approach the owner, which is not ideal. It's not the most comfortable, but you want to do that. And the, what you want to do when you make the complaint, whether you're making it about a third party or whether you're making it to the harasser, oh. is you want to make the complaint in writing, right? And maybe if there's a solution, suggest an obvious solution. If there happens to be another department where your role exists, um, then uh, you can do that. Obviously, uh, you can't always suggest the person be fired, and, and usually that's not something you want to suggest. Uh, but uh, if you have a potential solution, then put it in writing because then it's going to be difficult for an employer to explain why they didn't consider that. Talk to people who may have witnessed what's been happening to you. Email them about it so that you get confirmation in writing that they saw it too. And when you make the complaint, show all the evidence you have. If you 
emails attached to the emails. You have pictures attached to pictures. Mm-hmm. If you have witness names, um, say this is who you should speak to because if they don't speak to that relevant witness, that might actually help a case for constructive dismissal later. So if, if one were to flip it around and put on their employer hat now, how does uh, an employer handle that harassment complaint? What do they do first? Right. Very important because this is this is a situation that employers do have to take uh, seriously. Um, the first thing that you need to do is you need to kind of assess the complexity of it, right? Is it a single incident or is it an incident that involves multiple witnesses, multiple allegations, perhaps multiple complainants and multiple uh, what we call respondents who are the people who've been accused? And if that's happening, you probably want to hire someone external. If it was, on the other hand, you know, it was one argument uh, between two people in the workplace or it was uh, one incident of violence in the workplace, in that case, you can probably handle it uh, in many cases internally as long as you do it carefully and by someone who's, who's trained to do that. Um, you got to talk to all the witnesses, gather up as much um, documents as you can, and when you come to a result, communicate it to both the person accused and the accuser, and make sure you do it in writing. You should. You mentioned documentation. How deep do you have to go on that? Is it a, a minute by minute thing, contemporaneous, or just you know an overall glance of what's been happening to you from from both sides? I guess the employer and employee side. Well, from the employee side, you want to try and get as much contemporaneous evidence as possible, right? So if you sent an email to the accuser saying, hey, I really don't appreciate when you do this, and then you've had to send another follow-up email saying this is still continuing, that can be very important. If someone has made an inappropriate uh, doodle uh, or an inappropriate handwritten message, take a picture of it, and you know that picture will be, will be time-stamped, right, if you, if you take it with your phone. Um, so... Uh, as much contemporaneous evidence as possible at the time that it's happening. Uh, for the employer's perspective, of course, you want to just gather this. You want to make sure you, you've asked the individuals involved, both the person accused and the accuser, uh, for all evidence they have. And then um, you want to uh, draw up a report, um, and there's all kinds of rules about uh, whether the secrecy of that report that uh, mm-hmm. we'll never have time to get into in, in this show Um but you certainly want to make sure that, especially if it's a complex investigation with multiple people involved, that you've documented all the discussions you've had with everyone. want to uh, continue our chat about workplace harassment because it's a, it's a super important one, but we'll take a, a short break, John, and get right back to that. And then some of your emails, help at employmentlawyer.ca is how you reach out. want to talk to John after the show, one 821 5900 Always uh, willing to ha- have a chat with you. We'll continue right here Employment Law. She'll stick around. Welcome back to it. Uh, Employment Law Show. John Pincus here, partner, Sam Firu, Tamarkin LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in this country, reaching out uh, after the show to uh, have a bit of a chat anytime you want to. 1-855-821-5900. The website pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. In fact, you can go there before the phone call. There's so much information to be had there. Plus, there's contact. And then email is help at employmentlawyer.ca, which is where we're going to turn in a minute or two here. But I want to finish our chat uh, this hour, John, about workplace harassment, always a uh, an important topic. Finally, uh, you know what happens if, if the person is being harassed because of their ethnicity or, or medical condition, especially to highlight that second one, uh, you know, with the pandemic and everything. What, uh, what do you say about that? Well, this adds a whole new layer um, to uh, both the employee's complaint and a whole new hazard for the employer receiving that complaint because um, now, irrespective of um, you know, 
whether that amounts to harassment, uh, if that employee is being treated differentially in, in any negative way, uh, that's not justifiable uh, because of their uh, ethnicity, their medical condition, their sex, their, their pregnancy, their um, uh, their status as a parent. Uh, there's a whole list of uh, their sexual orientation. There's a whole list of protected grounds that you can look up on uh, on the Ontario Human Rights Code and, and in the case of uh, federally regulated employees, the Canadian Human Rights Act. Um, and if you are being harassed for that reason, um, then it may not only be a constructive dismissal, but it may also be a human rights violation. So again, you want to set out exactly, not, not just to say, I think I'm being harassed because of my ethnicity, but I believe I'm being harassed because of my ethnicity, because this person said this to me, right? They said, um, you know, I, I don't know why we hire people from such and such country. I don't know why we hire people from such and such background or people from such and such background um, are are not good workers, something like that, right? So, or, or a medical condition where so if you had recently had to take a leave and someone expresses uh, exasperation at the fact that, oh, this person's taking another medical leave, I can't believe it, right? So you want to be very specific about those things because the more specific you are, the less credible uh, it's going to be for them to deny it, especially if you say they said it to me on this date, uh, you, know, th- you know, around this time. Uh, so that's why, and it's going to be hard if you're trying to report this after the fact, which is why when these things happen, you want to take notes at the time. Contemporaneous notes, very key. Let's move on to a couple emails. This worst, uh, first one is from Art. Again, anytime you can send them along, help at employmentlawyer.ca. Art says, my employer is telling me I need to go back to the office full time. I was working from the office before the pandemic, but I've been working from home ever since. Do I need to do this? Well, the short answer to this question is yes, you do need to do this. If you have been working from from the office uh, for you know even a year, uh, let's say you were hired in 2019 and then in 2020 the pandemic hit and everyone goes um, and works from home, the, impl- the, the implication here is going to be that you were working from home temporarily, right? You're never given a guarantee that work from work from home uh, arrangement was going to be indefinite, right? That's something you'd have to negotiate with your employer. And if you haven't done that, then the assumption is going to be that that employer can ask you to come back to the office any time. Um, and just because you may not feel safe to going back to the office is not going to be a reason, and a, a legitimate reason to refuse. So if you do refuse going back to the office, that is going to be the Consider the abandonment of your employment. You're not going to have any entitlement to severance. So be very careful before you make that decision. All right. Appreciate the uh, the note. Moving down to Julia says, hey, John, can I be disciplined or fired uh, for getting in an argument with a coworker and losing my temper? Well, let's break that down, John, because there's two questions in there. Can you be disciplined for getting in an argument with your coworker and losing your temper? Absolutely, you can be disciplined. You can be given a warning, perhaps even a suspension, um, if you um, uh, if you've engaged in this kind of behavior before. Can you be fired for cause? Well, not necessarily uh, for this, and actually, probably not, because cause is what we call, like we were talking about at the top of the hour, the capital punishment of the employment relationship. The employer has to prove that they absolutely could not trust you to maintain an active employment relationship, and that's going to be very, very difficult. And by the way, typically, 
the longer you have been employed somewhere, the more leeway you're going to get in terms of what you've done. And that's not saying (laughs) go ahead and do whatever you want in the workplace, uh, because like we talked about, if you've engaged in serious misconduct, we cannot help you. But if you've been fired for this reason, then um, definitely give us a call because chances are you're probably going to be owed severance. I think we got time to uh, slide a quick call in here before we uh, we take our our break. If I can get my mouse working, if not, Jody will do it. There we go. We're getting a Jason online. Hi, Jason. How are you? Thanks for standing by. Hi. How you guys doing? Just a Good. quick summary without too many details. I'm going to lunch with a coworker who's also my direct report. Uh, we made a uh, U-turn, and there was a, some sort of traffic stop going by uh, nearby. Police pulled us over, asked us for ID. My coworker who was driving provided the ID. I did not provide mine because the police did not give me reasonable grounds. They did not have a warrant. There was no crime. There was no investigation. There was no victim. I know my rights. I don't have to give my, my ID to the mailman, the garbage man, or the policeman. Unless you got reasonable grounds or a warrant, I don't have to do anything. My coworker did give his driver's license. The police searched his car. I didn't give anything of mine. And they found out they have the wrong people. A couple of days later, I go into the office and I'm let go because they say I wasn't a good custodian of the organization and they don't like the way I interacted with the police. Mm. But the fact is, I mm. held on my rights. Right? You can't mm. tell me that I did something wrong here because I know my rights. But they let me go because they don't like the way I talk to the police. You know, they're fishing. The police are fishing for something. The more I talk, the more you talk, the more you provide, the more potential garbage you put yourself in. I did nothing wrong. You got the wrong guy. I don't have to give you a damn thing, and you I, think, I, I get I get I get fired. Well, well, Jason, I I I'm, you know I want you to give us a call off air, and I wish we had more time to talk about it on air because uh, there's a few issues that this raises. Now, I can of course only speak to the employment sphere, but this is what we call off duty conduct. And for your employer to establish that they had cause to terminate you, they have to prove that that somehow damaged the employment relationship. And based on what you just discussed. Um, unless you were in a very, very public-facing position, and this became, you know, somehow, uh, you know, a news story, very unlikely they're going to have just cause. So, Jason, I want you to give us a call. Let's talk about how we can get your severance here, because it sounds like we may be able to help you here. Jason, appreciate that last-minute call. We're going to let it go with there. You want to reach out now uh, for you as well, if you're listening, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Help at employmentlawyer.ca through email and pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. We'll catch you next time. Employment Law Show.